Pharisees and some of the teachers of law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions such as the washing of the cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As he has written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you, you say that if anyone declares that they might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is devoted to God. Then, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that is you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it does not go into their heart, but their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, the evil thoughts come. Sexual immortality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Good morning. Um, There is a a last section uh, from Mark chapter 7 that we're going to read. Uh, Thanks to Leo and Libby for agreeing to to do the initial part of that reading. But we're going to read again uh, from verse 24. And and I hope it will become obvious that these three different sections uh, build one up on top of another. They're very logical uh, and there's one main point that's going to be made. So let's read from uh, verse number 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him And came and fell down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. 
But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Amen. May God's word uh, touch our, our hearts. So th- there is one big point um, that I'd like us to think about today. Um, this, the slide will come up in a minute. Uh, it's the point about spiritual uncleanness that actually finds its way weaving through all three of these sections. Um, Impurity, uh, defilement, spiritual dirtiness. Uh, that, that is the main message. And, it, and it's not just that, but it's the fact that there can be a, be a clean heart given by Christ despite that predicament. So that, so that is the big point that is going to be uh, before us this morning. And let's just take each of the incidents one by one and see how they build up. Uh, it starts off, as, as you can see there in verse 1, with a, a delegation uh, coming to investigate uh, what is going on as far as the teaching and the, the ministry of, of Christ is concerned. Uh, they've come down from the capital, from Jerusalem. These are the defenders of the faith. These are the the kind of spiritual police uh, who, who really feel they need to, to sort things out and see what is going on with this new teaching uh, that has arisen. And they, you know, they mooch around for a while and uh, they observe and take notes and uh, jot things down and eventually they present themselves before Jesus. And the big issue that they have uh, is not positive <laughs> It's, it's very critical and it's, it's judgmental. And they say, we've been watching, we've been observing how things have been going on here. And we've noticed that your disciples, and of course, by putting it like that, the point they're really making is it's not so much we've got a problem with your disciples. It's the fact that you're responsible for them. They are your disciples. And you're allowing this, you're happy for this to happen. We've noticed that when... They come back from the marketplace or whatever before they eat. They're, they're not washing their hands. Now, we need to take a wee step back at this point and just understand exactly the point they're making. Now, they're, they're not concerned about COVID. They're not concerned about hygiene. You know, uh, it's got nothing to do with the fact that they don't want them to get, you know, a tummy bug uh, because they haven't washed their hands. This is a ceremonial thing. This is something that had been developed over the years by the traditions of, of the elders. And uh, the whole point of it was this, that it was possible if you went down to, to buy the messages and you came back with your milk and your loaf of bread, that you know it's possible that uh, before you picked up that carton of milk, that uh, a sinner had touched that first. You know, perish the thought, even a Gentile, somebody who wasn't Jewish, who was considered, you know, really beyond what was acceptable. And, and, you know, there is a sense of ceremonial contamination 
that can be passed on. And that was the point. This was a ceremonial thing. It was a symbolic thing. And, and, and they were very concerned that that had not been part of the normal practice of the, of the disciples of the Lord Jesus. So, so they're introducing this subject. It's them that's raising this whole bit about uncleanness, about defilement, about contamination. And they're saying, your disciples are contaminated people. You know, they're not conducting themselves properly as far as the regulations and the rules of, of the elders of the, the religious part of the nation. And they, they wag the finger. Uh, and they, they're holding themselves up to be superior somehow. To be holier than thou. We're clean. You know, we do that. But not your disciples. So it's this situation that the Lord Jesus now has to respond to. Now, what I'd like to point out here is um, how he responds first, rather than what he says. The tone. He's not apologetic. You know, he doesn't say, well, you've got a point. Um, perhaps there's something in what you say. Maybe we could do things better. Uh, let's all try and compromise here and, you know. Not at all. Um, he's, he's absolutely scathing in his approach and in, in his reply. He, he speaks very directly uh, and very bluntly. In fact, if you look at Matthew's account of, uh, of this same incident, after he's spoken to them, the disciples say, don't you realize you've, you've offended these people? And he's not concerned about that because such is the importance of the of the issue that it requires direct speech. And you know, and maybe sometimes we have, we have got the character of the Lord Jesus imbalanced at times. We, we think of quite rightly of the, the meekness and the gentleness and the kindness of Christ. But there was an occasion when with the, the small scourge of cords, he drove the worshippers out of the temple and he cleansed it and there was the occasion in the synagogue when he actually says that he looked around in anger at the people who didn't want him to heal the diseased man on the sabbath day and this is another example of the same thing what is it that arouses the scathing anger of christ against these people well, point number one, it's their hypocrisy. It's their hypocrisy. Now, in, in looking at this and in seeing this, there are three things that I'd like to, to point out. And, and they really all come from verse 6 and 7, which are this quotation from the Old Testament uh, from Isaiah. The first thing that he says about their hypocrisy is that this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now that is possible. Of course it's possible, because he said it was the, it was the case for them. So here were, here were people who were, who were teachers in their schools and their seminaries. Their whole life had been devoted 
to self-education as far as religious affairs were concerned, as far as the law was concerned. They were assiduous, serious students of the law of God. They could give you chapter and verse. They could quote things verbatim. They knew things inside out. It was something that their whole life was devoted to, and they taught these things. But Jesus said, you draw close to me with your lips only, but your hearts are far from you. Now that that is an absolute warning to all of us. You know, we can can stand up here, I can stand up here and, and teach the Bible with my lips. We can all sing these wonderful words. We can have our prayers that we utter. But it's possible for it just to be our lips and for it not to touch our hearts. And that is hypocrisy. And so we challenge ourselves because we're not just looking at this incident from all those years ago and pointing our finger at them and saying, oh, let's not be like the Pharisees. We have to apply this to our own hearts. Burns Night's coming up, isn't it, this week? Um, in and among all the, the usual poems that you might think about, maybe you want to look up one called Holy Willie's Prayer. It's about a man called Willie Fisher. And uh, he was an elder uh, in the parish church of Mochlin in Ayrshire. And Willie Fisher uh, used to... Uh, used to snoop around and report various people of the congregation to the minister if he felt they weren't quite up to the mark because of their behavior. And yet when you read Burns's account of, of uh, Fisher, uh, you, you realize something about the man's hypocrisy. And of course that has almost become a kind of byphrase now, isn't it? He's a, he's a holy willy. You know, that he's, he's just a hypocrite. And um, that's the first thing that's said. Look at the second one. It says, in vain do they worship me. In vain. They think they worship. They use that word to describe what they do. They like to think that they're able to approach God and come into his presence. And that what they do is acceptable and God is pleased with it. But there's a vanity. It's all in vain. There's no point. There's nothing. It's empty. Completely empty. Because God, he assesses the hearts. And again, what a terrible indictment. That it's entirely possible at times, as far as any of us is concerned, that what we describe as worship is actually empty and vain. Because at the end of the day, it's not me who describes what worship is anyway. It's only God who can look at the heart and say, yes, that was worship. I I knew that came from a true heart. They meant that. And I say it's worship, irrespective of what they might call it. And then the third thing, and this is perhaps the biggest one of all, he says that um, they teach as doctrine the commandments of men. 
Now this was, this was the massive point. They had elevated to a, to a particular status the, the traditions of men. Things that had been taught over the generations, things that had been taught in the seminaries and schools, that had been written in their textbooks, that had just become assimilated as being part and parcel of, of what, is it, what was acceptable. And, and that actually had become more binding and more important than the Word of God. And it took precedence. And it actually superseded the Bible now for them. And this is an insidious thing. This is something that develops gradually. And people are not immediately aware of it. But but it, it's a real thing. It was absolutely a real thing then. And it's absolutely a real thing in our day and age. That people can can be so influenced by the pressure of the tradition of the elders, of, of people in authority, of people who are in a position of power, of people who seem to be impressive, of people of, of ability, and they, and they have such a degree of perceived control that, that it influences to such an extent that people accept all of that. And out of fear, and out of, and out of intimidation, they comply with that. You know, you can read... For instance, in John chapter 9 about the incident with a blind man that Jesus had healed. And again, these people weren't happy with that. And because the man stuck to his guns, eventually they excommunicated him. They, they cast him out of the synagogue. Now the synagogue was the very center and heart of, of not just religious life, but was the, the heart of the entire social life of the community. And this, these people had the ability to ostracize him. Everybody else was scared of anything to do. He was put to the periphery. And you can accept and, and see the effect that that would have had on any individual to, to be treated in that way. And the people knew that. That these men had that kind of ability to do these things. And out of that sort of fear, they, they comply. But this is what happened. These fellows had elevated the traditions of people above the commands of God. And by doing that, they actually reject and nullify God's commandment. And he gives an example of that. And it's this idea of, uh, you see that down in verse number 11, korban. You see, they, they use this word korban, which means a gift. Now, this is what it means, that in God's law, God was quite clear um, that we all have to honor our, our father and our mother. You know, it's an obligation to honor our parents, uh, which involves, at times, the possibility of, of financially assisting them in their old age, in that kind of society. You have to honor your father and mother. Well, the tradition of the elders developed something else called Corbin. And what that meant was this. That with that money that you had, if you said, oh, I'm devoting this money to God. Oh, I'm so pious, you know, I'm so holy, 
You know, I'm going to give this to God. I'm going to devote it to Him. I'm going to give it to the temple or whatever. If you said that, then what that meant was that that money was absolutely dedicated. You couldn't use it for anything else. You could not use it, for instance, to assist even your parents. And by doing that, they nullified the commandment of God. And that was only one example, as you can see. And many such things you do. I mean, it all seems so righteous. It all seems so pious. It all seems so holy. And yet, the Lord Jesus is able to shine a light and to analyze it and say, this is your hypocrisy. What people believe, what these men say, you think is more important. And that's what's happened. And you've nullified the commandments of God. And so that is the the great issue of hypocrisy described in these three ways. And the question, of course, that comes to all of us is, could this be true of me? Could these words uh, apply to me? These people who, who looked upon themselves as being so pure, and are criticizing the defiled disciples. I mean, basically what Jesus is saying, what about your grubby hypocrisy? What about the contamination of how, of how you have done things? And rather than you accusing my disciples of ceremonial uncleanness, what, what about the uncleanness of your own hypocritical hearts that have done all of these things? So the word of God comes to us today. To check the cleanness of our hearts. So that's that's the first point, first section. Move on to the second one now, from verse 14. And this section is not so much talking about hypocrisy. There's a degree of clarity now that's being brought. brought. And, And you can see how this is now built on the first section. Because Jesus calls the people to him. And he says, look, I want, you, I want you to understand the true nature of spiritual uncleanness. You've got to get rid of this idea of what these men have been saying. It's the tradition of the fathers. Let's get back with real clarity to what the Bible is teaching us about the nature of spiritual uncleanness. And let us all be clear about that this morning as well. And this is what he says. It's not anything that goes into a person that makes them unclean. Really? You think if I touch that carton of milk, that somehow or another I became spiritually unclean because some sinner or Gentile had touched it? Is that really what we believe spiritual uncleanness is about? He says, not at all. It's not what goes into a person ceremonially that makes him dirty. It's what comes out of the person. That is the real nature of spiritual uncleanness. And of course, he talks about the heart. It's what comes out of the heart that defiles. And all of these things, verse 21, from within, out of the heart of man, come these evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, so forth. 
These are the things that come from within. And they are what defile. That's what defiles. And it brings us back to the Bible's teaching of the nature of humanity. So, you know, books have been written about this, you know. University courses have been taught on this. But let's come not to the traditions of men. But let's come to what God says about the nature of humanity. Well, what are human beings? What, what am I? Who are you? Am I, am I a good person? When I'm born, am I basically and fundamentally, do I believe, as many of the politicians always say, I believe in the basic goodness of humanity? When I'm born, am I born in a kind of innocent state? And, and the things that happen to me, they might influence how I develop. You know, maybe, maybe it's poor parenting. And I don't stand a chance because of that. And I'll go astray because of the environment that I'm raised in. Is it because of, you know, the social deprivation that is part of the environment? Is it because of lack of education? And if I address all of these things, that's what, it's going to make a difference and, and of course these are factors but it's not the fundamental point the fundamental point is this from Psalm 51 where Russell read to us this morning when King David reached this point and said I was born in sin and I was shaped in iniquity that right from the very moment of birth I have an inbuilt bias and tendency, which is selfishness, which is anti-Christ and anti-God. And I've inherited that. It's something that's a deeper thing even than DNA is. It's a deeper thing. It's been inherited from Adam, the first human. And it's been passed down upon all. And we have, we, we have we are part of the curse of sin and it's what we are. We say it in almost a justifiable way. You know, to err is human. It's just human to make mistakes. But it's, it, and that is true. And it's true at a very fundamental level. All of these things come from the heart. I can remember years ago, Jeremy Thorpe, who was the um, leader of the Liberal Party. You know, he was... Uh, he was in court, charged with murder. And um, he, uh, he made this point, I'm just not capable of that. I'm just not, it's just, it's just, I'm not capable of doing anything like that. We, we are capable of anything. I remember reading this story when I was relatively young. You know, the Lord of the Flies, William Golding, about these you know, school, school children, well-to-do school children, and the, the plane goes down on an island, and um, the, these, these sophisticated children eventually just resort and revert to, to behaving like savages. You know, despite all the veneer of, of their upbringing and education and family background, when left to it, that's what they revert to. And this is the reality of spiritual uncleanness. It's the fact that all of these things emanate from, potentially, from all of our hearts. All the things that are listed here. And there, and, and, and there is a deep washing, a deep cleansing that is required. Deeper than, than anything else apart from the gospel of Christ. That is the only thing. 
maybe remember the since I'm on a bit of a literature roll here um, maybe you remember doing Macbeth at school Lady Macbeth, the, the sleepwalking scene you know, after the the murder of, of the king you know, she's she's seen rubbing her hands, washing her hands, trying to get the spot out, the stain of the of the sin that she knows that she has been complicit in as far as the murder of King Duncan. She tries to get it out and she can't do it and it tortures her. Nothing will wash it away. That contamination, that uncleanness that has smeared her conscience and smeared her life. All of these things that are teach it, taught by Christ with such clarity about the, sh- the human heart. The only thing that can wash this away is the death of Christ. It's the work of Christ. It's the gospel of Christ that can address the issue of spiritual uncleanness. And that brings us to the last point. And again, I hope you see how these things are being built up. Now, this is very logical, and, 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 and what's the point that's being made here is here, here is a, a live, real illustration of, of how the reality of spiritual cleanness can be produced. It's reality. This is reality here. It's about a, an individual. Now, let me just point out the connection here. Verse 24. This is the kind of flow of thought. He goes to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now you need need to do a wee bit of research and thinking to get the connection. Because interestingly, fascinatingly, this is the only known instance of Jesus ever crossing the border into another country outside of Israel. The only time in his 33 years when he was upon earth, that he moved outside the confines of that country. And and you you still hear about Tyre in the news. It's a port city in Lebanon today. So he goes to Lebanon. He moves outside. And the whole point is this, that this is Gentile country. Remember, the Pharisees had been so concerned, I might touch the milk, you know, I might touch the pot that the Gentiles touched and I'll be contaminated. Jesus says, no, no, that's, that's not impurity here is what impurity is and now he goes into a real situation where he is going to be mingling and touching and mixing with with the unclean gentiles all right she's also described in another one of the other passages as a canaanite you know these were the, the pagan godless people that had initially been part of israel and whose practices, you know, were so despicable. And, and he's mixing with them. He's mingling. He's, he's part of that. And what's going to happen here is that this, this woman, who's so concerned about her little child, who interestingly is described that the, the daughter had an, the word, unclean spirit. And again, let's not fudge this, that um, in our Western society, where we explain everything in medical terms and all the rest of it, there are some things that we can't always explain and describe. And there are such things as unclean spirits. All right, We're not going to go overboard on that, but this is what is mentioned here. Unclean spirits are demons. And this, this child is afflicted by this unclean spirit. And the mother's distraught. Obviously she is. 
And initially the conversation seems strange to us. I, I think, I think we should interpret what the Lord Jesus is saying by seeing a smile on his face rather than a frown. You know, he's using just a little analogy of, of, uh, uh, the kitchen table and the dogs, you know, wandering around. And he says, you know, it's, it's not right for me to take what I would be giving the children and then to, to feed that to, to the dog first. There is a deeper point. And the deeper point is this, that he's making this case that, you know, Gentiles, non-Jewish people, you know, were very far away from God. You see, in Scripture, if you look at Romans chapter 1, for instance, Paul makes the point that here's the gospel, and I'm not ashamed of it. It's the power of God to salvation. And he says it's for the Jew first, and then it's for the Greek. That Christ initially came to his own people, and his own people uh, received him not. And in fact, back in Matthew 15, when he sends his disciples out on one of their missions, he specifically, explicitly says to them, you are only to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You've not to even go to the Samaritan part of the country. You only go to Jewish people. Because this message, they're given priority for it. In fact, that was a big issue in the life of the early church. They only went, wherever they went, they only preached to Jews. And that's why Peter in Acts chapter 10 had to be given this vision of the sheet that was let down from heaven full of unclean things. And God was really saying to him, Peter, this is no longer just for Jewish people. It's got to go broader than that. It's got to go to the entire world. There are no unclean things from that point of view now. Jesus is making this point. In fact, when Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, which of course was in Gentile territory as well, you might want to look this one up later on, in chapter 2 in Ephesians, just to make the point, he says, you know, you were, you were, you were aliens to the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You were miles away from all that stuff. You had no idea. You were far removed. But now, he says, although you were far away, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And that's the message of the final part. That is the great reality, the wonderful reality of the gospel of Christ that we preach. Is that although we might be very defiled and be very contaminated as far as our sin before God is concerned, we can be brought near and we can be cleansed by the blood of Christ. And the uh, as I was thinking about this, and my mind went to the crucifixion, and I was thinking about the death of Christ, I couldn't help but think about the symbolism of when that soldier came with the spear and pierced the side of Christ. And out with there came, it's recorded, blood and water. I mean, strong symbol. There's a strong message in that. Because the point that is being made is that there is cleansing, 
There is washing that comes from the death of Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, is able to cleanse me from all my sins. There is a washing. It's as though when Christ died upon the cross because of his love for me and his desire that the contamination of my sin be dealt with. And he gives himself to do that. He takes all that uncleanness upon himself when he dies. And, and there is this picture of, of blood and water that flow down. It's as, it's as though a fountain has been opened for cleansing. That we might, we might wash ourselves in the death of Christ. Strange symbolism. But, that, but that, that is the message of the gospel. That there is cleansing for all irrespective of who we are. I remember reading uh, about the Welsh preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones. He, he initially had worked in a, a, a village in the south of Wales. And there had been an old man who had got converted. And um, at some point later on he was really troubled and disturbed because he, he remembered an incident when he'd been sitting in the pub and the conversation came up regarding the Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he had replied, used the name of Jesus and swore and blasphemed. And he suddenly thought, I've committed the unpardonable sin. You know, I, there's no way back from that. And he was very upset and distressed from it. And uh, Lloyd-Jones turned to that verse in 1 John chapter 1 that I've just quoted. And that, and that was the verse that was of great help to the, to the old man. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Not just certain sins. You know, not just low-ranking sins, socially acceptable sins, ones that we are not sure whether they qualify as being sins. I can see how it might deal with that. But the, the blood of Christ, the death of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, the blood that flowed because his life was given, can cleanse us from all sin. Now that is the nature of having a clean heart. And that's what our prayer should be. Our prayer should be, despite my uncleanness, I come to Christ. I see the blood and water flowing, and my prayer is, create in me a clean heart, O God. That's the message that comes to all of us. And, and it's the example of following Christ that we were talking about last week. That if this is the approach that Christ himself had to those who are unclean, for, for Christian people who try to follow him, we should not be drawing ourselves back in horror. We should not be holding ourselves up in splendid isolation from all the stuff that goes on in the world. We need to be among the unclean, if you like, because we ourselves are unclean, but we have experienced the cleansing power of Christ. That's the wonderful message of the gospel of Christ. Now shall we pray. Lord, thank you for what has been made so clear to us through the teaching of the Lord Jesus. And we ask that in the same way as these men were exposed, that your word comes to all of our hearts and speaks to us. May there be a real element of power that comes from the word of God to, to shake us and touch us. 
and to cause us to face up to the reality of what we have discovered in this passage. We thank you for the wonderful ability of the Lord Jesus to wash us, to deal completely with whatever we've done. If, like this woman, we come with humility and with faith, realizing that only it is Christ that can help us. So we commit your word to all of our hearts today as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.